be seated. <clears throat> the story of the Israelites in the wilderness is a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, if in just a, a few short verses, in fact, if you, if you were to turn back in your Bible to a couple of chapters previous to this, you'll find that the children of Israel had just come from Egypt. And all of the jubilation that was involved there. You can imagine that God's people were in bondage in Egypt. They were there for uh, over 400 years. And uh, just to put that in perspective, our country is not, not uh, just, uh, you know, just a little bit more than half of that. And, uh, but they've been in bondage in Egypt for almost four, over 400 years. And, uh, and of course, God uh, visited his people and he sent Moses uh, to, uh, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And, you know, all the stories surrounding that. And finally, you know that God, uh, uh, once and for all, uh, gave his people deliverance from Egypt. And there was the jubilation of Egypt. And then there, that, uh, that roller coaster of emotion is on an, uh, an incredible high right there. And then discouragement of being pursued by the armies of Pharaoh. In just a, just a few hours, Pharaoh goes from, yeah, get out of here, to, hey, what did we do? Why did we let those people go? And he chases them, pursues them into the wilderness, and, and, uh, and then the people turn around to look to see the armies of Pharaoh coming after them, and then they murmur against Moses and say, Moses, why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out here to die? And so that roller coaster of emotion takes a very, uh, a, a very incredible low there. And then the miracle of the Red Sea parting. Uh, God said to Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to uh, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses, take that rod in your hand and, and stretch it out over the waters of the Red Sea. And Moses did so. And, of course, you know the story, the Red Sea uh, miracle there, uh, you know, the, the, a wall of water on either side. And there you have two and a half to three million Jews walking through the dry bed of the Red Sea and just an incredible miracle there and and then uh, they turn around and they see the pharaohs of army pursuing them and then once all the Israelites the Israelites get on the other side uh, Moses once again uh, stretches out his rod over the sea the waters come together the armies of Pharaoh are, are killed they're drowned in the middle of the Red Sea and I know there's a lot of people who who like to cast aspersion and cast doubt on the the truth uh, or the veracity of the Bible and there's a lot of folks who do who do that by saying well you know yeah they crossed over uh, the Red Sea, but you know, it was the Sea of Reeds, and it was only ankle-deep water, and they tried to minimize the great miracle of the Red Sea, but hey, if you think about it, that didn't even be a greater miracle. God drowned a whole army of Egyptians in ankle-deep water. <laughs> Man, <laughs> they're not very smart, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know what? Hey, either way, we got a big God, and he did uh, miraculous things, and hey, I'm just dumb enough to believe that when the, ball, when the Bible says that there was a, a wall of water on either side and God's people passed through on dry ground, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and so there's that roller coaster of emotions there. Now, as we come to Exodus chapter 15, they are in the desert. And, uh, and I can imagine, you know, all of the jubilation of Exodus chapter uh, 14 has kind of subsided a little bit. There was a big, there was a big uh, celebration there because of what had happened. And there were singing and, and uh, there was a big uh, celebratory atmosphere there among God's people. But now that that has subsided a little bit, God's people have wondered uh, or, or have been uh, uh, walking three days in the wilderness. And somebody said, boy, I'm thirsty. Are you thirsty? Yeah, yeah, I'm thirsty. And it begins to spread through the camp. You know how it is. And uh, somebody else says, man, I'm, I'm really thirsty. And then somebody looks around and says, hey, John, hey, Glenn, uh, <laughs> uh, wonder what we're going to get to drink. 
it's, it's kind of deserted out here. It's kind of dry and dusty and so forth, and I, I, I'm really thirsty. Are, are you a little bit worried about that? And, uh, and Brother Glenn said, yeah, I'm real worried. And, uh, and uh, isn't that what you said, Brother Glenn? He's very worried. He's, Brother Glenn is worried when it comes to sustenance of life. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's, he, he's got a burden for this thing. And, uh, and, and, of course, it begins to spread like wildfire through the camp. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a, little, I'm a little worried about this. Wonder what we're going to drink. And wonder when we're going to drink. The thermos containers that they had filled were all used up. The flasks of water were now empty. They came to a place that the Bible calls Mara. The Bible calls this place Mara. The word Mara means bitter. In fact, there's another uh, instance in the scripture where you read the word Mara. It's over in the book of Ruth where uh, Naomi comes back <coughs> to Bethlehem after being gone to Moab for all those years. And somebody said, hey, there's Naomi. And the word Naomi means sweet and, uh, or sweetness. And somebody said, hey, there's Naomi. And, and, uh, and, and Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara because I'm bitter. So there's that word Mara there in the scripture. This is the first time it's used in, here in Exodus chapter 15. And uh, it's, it's, it's used there because it describes the waters of Mara. The good news about Mara was that it was a place where there was water. But the bad news about Mara was the fact that the waters were bitter. The waters were not drinkable. Uh, you, you, could not, you couldn't ingest the waters. It wasn't fit to be, uh, to, for drinking water. And, uh, and, and I want you to notice several things about this place called Mara. Of course, by the way, God ordained for them to come to this place called Mara. There was no accident that they were there. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. They get to the other side. And if you read on further in the chapter, you find that God used this place to prove them. Understand something, and I'm getting ahead of myself in the message just a little bit. Sometimes God brings you to places in your life, circumstances in your life, where God means to prove you or to test you. God wants to see what you're made of. By the way, God knows what you're made of. God wants to show you what you're made of. And so God brings, or has Moses bring these people three days journey in the wilderness, and they come to this place called Mara, and I want you to notice several things about this place. First of all, it was a place of barrenness. It was a place of barrenness. Between the time they left the shores of the Red Sea until this point, there had been nothing. It was desert. It was dry. It was dusty. It was uh, a place of no water, a place of no vegetation, a place of no rest areas. Amen? No, uh, no place to pull over and, and, uh, uh, and, and just uh, find some refreshment. Nothing like that. Not only that, but it was a place of bitterness. It was a place of bitterness. They finally get to a place where there is water, but it is bitter to the point of not being drinkable. What appeared to be a place of refreshment for those people turned out to be a huge disappointment. You ever had that happen in your life? Some, you, had, you had all these great expectations of something. I, I imagine this group of people, massive group of people, two and a half to three million people uh, marching in an orderly fashion across the wilderness, and somebody looks ahead and sees a body of water, and they said, hey, look at this, man. Look straight ahead. There's water up there. And I can imagine the excitement that they felt when they understood, finally, man, we're going to get something to drink. We're going to be able to fill all of our thermoses and our flasks and, and, the, and the coolers and everything. And, man, we're going to, we're, we're going to make the most out of this uh, little uh, uh, rest area here that God has in front of us. And, and then they get there, and somebody gets on their knees. And, uh, and, boy, I can imagine when they scooped up the water, all they could get in their hand, in the palm of their hands, and they bring it to their mouth, and somebody said, uh-oh, we can't drink that. That's bitter water. 
That's bitter water. It wasn't what they thought it would be. And sometimes God brings us to, to areas in our life and, God, uh, and our, our expectations are raised into what we think things ought to be and the way, things ought to the way things ought to work out. And sometimes we find that they're not what we thought they were going to be. We're disappointed. We're, we drink that experience and it's not what we expected. You know, many of our many of our disappointments come from unmet expectations and uh, you know sometimes you know uh, perhaps uh, perhaps a, 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 a newlyweds they uh, they have all these wonderful expectations of what, of what married life is going to be like and then all of a sudden she wakes up one day and finds out that his, his breast stinks in the morning <laughs> and she finds out that his feet sink at night and uh, anybody want to testify? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but the truth is, you know, sometimes our, our disappointments in life come from unmet expectations. And here God's people get to this body of water called Mara, and they get there, and they, they, somebody drinks of it, and they say, wait a minute, we can't do that. Expectations were unmet. It was a place of bitterness. And then I want you to see not only that, but Mara was a place of blame. It was a place of blame. Exodus chapter 15, verse number 24, it says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Bless his heart, Moses, man, he just caught it all the time. All the time. Man, the, the people said, they realized we can't drink this water, and somebody said, It's Moses' fault. It's Moses' fault. Well, I, I knew we shouldn't listen to that guy. I knew it when he came to us in Egypt saying that God was going to lead us to a better place. I knew we should have stayed where we were. And, uh, you know, these same people that were rejoicing over the goodness of God to save them from the Egyptians just three days before this were now ready to lynch Moses. They're ready to get rid of him. They're ready to say, hey, you know, hey, somebody call somebody else. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, when, when bad things happen, our nature is to look around for someone to assign blame. That's the way we are, isn't it? When things don't go the way we think they ought to go, everybody's looking for a scapegoat. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame. Everybody's looking for somebody to say, hey, it's his fault. You know, we want to point a finger at somebody. We want to feel better about something by saying, it's all your fault. Uh, you know, husbands who want to, you know, things go sour, and we want to point a finger at our wife and say, it's your fault. Or wives who want to blame their husbands or, or, or whatever the case may be. Employees blame the boss. The boss blames the employees. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame. You know, we're in the political climate of 2016. And, and uh, boy, you hear it at every turn. It's uh, every woe and every, uh, every bad thing that's wrong with our country. Everybody's looking for someone to assign blame. Wouldn't it be refreshing if somebody just said, hey, let's just fix it. Let's just, hey, let's just, uh, let, let's just turn to God. Let's just uh, get the solution to this thing and understand that our country's problems have largely been brought upon us by ourselves. And why don't we as a people say, hey, let's get right with him and see what God can do to fix this mess. Instead, we like to affix blame or assign blame. Fact is, in verse 25, the Bible tells us that God was behind all of this in an effort to prove or to test his people. God wanted to show these people that he was worthy of their trust. So I want you to see, first of all, there was a place, it was a place of barrenness, it was a place of bitterness, it was a place of blame, and then notice number four, it was a place of begging. A place of begging. Look at verse 25. The Bible says in verse 25, and Moses cried, or and, and he cried, he's talking about Moses there, and he cried unto the Lord. And he cried unto the Lord. You know what? That's a good idea. That's a wonderful idea. 
It was great for Moses because Moses didn't have anything else to do. He had nowhere else to turn. And may I say to all of us this morning, when you get to the place where God is all you have, you will quickly find that God is all you need. You know, would to God we would cry out to him before things got really bad. Would to God that we would learn that prayer is not, it's not a last resort, it's a first option. Prayer is not a 911 call, prayer should be an everyday call. Prayer is not just, hey, it's not just a spare tire. It's not just, hey, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, break glass in case of emergency. That's not what prayer is designed to be. Prayer is designed to be sweet communion with you and your God so that, hey, <clears throat> you don't have to go find God when you're in a mess. He's right there. He's right there. But the Bible says here in verse 25, it says, And he cried unto the Lord. God heard Moses cry. By the way, he hears your cry. You don't cry, but what God doesn't hear you. You don't, uh, uh, you, you don't call out to God, but what, he's not there. And boy, God teaches us to, to lean upon him. God teaches us to trust him. So Mara, it was a place of barrenness. It was a place of blame. It was a place of bitterness. It was a place of begging. And then by way of introduction, number five, and this is where we'll continue on with the message, it was a place of blessing. Mara was a place of blessing. Don't panic. The message isn't nearly as long as the, as the, as the introduction. Uh, it was a place of blessing. You say, Pastor, Mara was a place of blessing? Didn't you just say that Mara contained waters that were too bitter to drink? Didn't you, didn't you just say that Mara was a place <coughs> where uh, uh, expectations were unmet? Yes, that's what, that's what the Bible teaches right here, but the Bible also teaches that Mara became a place of blessing. Here's where the story turns. This place of bitterness, this place of barrenness, this place of blame, this place of begging becomes a place of blessing. Look at your Bible, if you will, Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 25. Exodus chapter 15, verse 25, the Bible says, And he, Moses, cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Mara becomes a place of blessing for God's people. Never in their wildest dreams did they see this coming. Never in their, in their most uh, uh, crazy imagination did they, did they ever think that this was going to happen. But notice, all they had seen was heartache and problems and the thirst and the circumstances that were against them. And look what happens. It says in verse number 25, it says, And the Lord showed him a tree. God showed Moses a tree. And that sounds simple enough, okay? And, and I wasn't there. I, I, I wasn't there to see the lay of the land or, or the topography that's involved in this whole situation here. But uh, what kind of tree this was, we don't know. Was it a pine tree? Was it a, uh, was it a palm tree? Was it, uh, you know, palm trees are listed a little bit further on in the chapter there toward the end. Uh, you know, was it an oak tree? Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of tree it was. The Bible doesn't tell us how big of a tree it was. Was it just a, a, a little shrub-looking little sapling? I don't know. Was it a, a, a mighty tree that had been there for centuries? I do not know. The Bible does not say. <clears throat> was it a tree among many other trees? Was it an unusual-looking tree? We do know one thing God pointed out a, don't miss it, specific tree. A specific tree. Because the Bible says God showed Moses a tree. That's interesting. But it doesn't stop there. 
He said to Moses, throw this specific tree into those waters and see what happens. Throw this tree. Hey, Moses, cut this tree down. Throw it into the waters there in Marah and see what happens. The Bible says Moses, it says when he took that, look at verse 25 with me again, if you will. Exodus chapter 15, verse 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. The waters were made sweet. Moses did as the Lord instructed him, and the Bible record says that the waters were made sweet. Two and a half million Israelites were able to drink of waters that were once bitter. Two and a half to three million Jews drank, of, drank to their full. They were refreshed. They were helped. They were, uh, they were invigorated. They were, they, were, they were encouraged by what God had done. Why? Because God showed Moses a tree. God showed Moses a tree. Hope in the future was restored because of a tree. Thirst was quenched in the middle of the desert because of a tree. You say, Pastor, that's a nice story. Let's draw a parallel. If you will, let's fast forward this story 1,500 years into the future or thereabouts. Jesus is sentenced to die by crucifixion. Pilate knows that he has done nothing worthy of death, but because of an angry mob, tries to wash his hands with the blood of an innocent man, or in this case, the God-man. By the way, don't, don't, don't ever miss who Jesus was. Hey, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ this week, don't, don't miss it. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. He was the God-man. He wasn't just a good man. He was the God-man. Jesus, after having already been betrayed, or I'm sorry, after having been beaten beyond recognition, stumbles beneath the weight of his own cross. Simon of Cyrene, the Bible says, is compelled, uh, compelled by the Roman guards to carry the cross the remainder of the way down the Via Della Rosa to Golgotha, the place of skull that we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Once they arrive at this place of execution, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is attached to this cross, this tree, if you will. Nails are ruthlessly driven through his hands and his feet. A crown of thorns has already been plaited together and has been beaten into his scalp in such a manner as to mock him as the king of the Jews. I want you to see the scene with me as Jesus Christ is hung on that cross in reproach and in shame. Soldiers are gambling for his clothes. Some are spitting on him in disgust. The angry mob that demanded his death are now ridiculing him in the distance. His mother Mary weeps as the, at the foot of the cross as she tries to make sense of all of this I want you to see a tree a tree yes a tree that has been roughly cut down at some point and has been molded into the shape of a cross and the son of God hangs on this tree you may be asking the question pastor what does the story of Moses at the waters of Marah have to do with the crucifixion what does it have to do? What does the story in Exodus chapter 15, what, what correlation is there between that and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hanging on a cross some uh, you know, uh, hundreds of years later? What does that have to do with each other? Well, let me point out some things for you. Like Mara, Calvary was a place of bitterness. We said that Mara was a place of bitterness. Can I, tell you, can I help you with something else? Calvary, Mount Calvary was a place of bitterness. 
Jesus in his uh, last prayer before he went to the cross. He got on his knees there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, my father, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou, as thou will. He said, God, if it be possible, Jesus was grieving. There was that bitter cup that Jesus was having to partake of, not because he did anything wrong, not because he was a sinner, not because he was a criminal, not because he had a record, not because he was, had done anything deserving of death. No, it was because of my sins. And it was because of your sins. But like Mara, Calvary was a place of bitterness. Like Mara, Calvary was a place of blame. You remember in Mara, the people said, hey, Moses, it's your fault. It's your fault. They assigned blame to Moses there because of the predicament they were in. Can I tell you something? What happened on Calvary uh, 2,000 years ago? A, a load of blame was placed on someone who didn't deserve it. Jesus took the blame. <laughs> Woo, Jesus took the blame. Hey, that blame should have been mine. That blame should have been yours. That load of sin, that load of guilt, that, uh, that sin debt that you owed and that I owed. Hey, we should have been hung on that cross and we should have borne that cross and we should have had those nails platted in our, in our heads or, or those, those, that crown of thorns in our, in our brow and those nails in our hands and those nails in our feet. Hey, that should have been ours. But the blame was assigned to someone who didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. He was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. He was, he was God in the flesh. He was the embodiment of perfection. He was the, uh, the, the ultimate in holiness. He was everything. He, hey, he was, he, he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hey, he didn't deserve that. That was my blame that he took. So like Mara was a place of blame, Calvary was a place of blame Hey, like Mara, Calvary was a place of beseeching. At Mara, Moses goes to God and cries out to him, says, God, you've got to help us. On Calvary, Jesus cried out to his father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God, why have you turned your back on me in the middle of the day from 12 noon to 3 p.m.? Darkness covers the face of the earth. Why? Because God the Father has to turn his back on his own son because of the sin debt that's being laid upon his shoulder. Hey, I'm simply saying Calvary was a place of beseeching as well. Like Mara, just like Mara, Calvary, however, was a place of blessing. Just like Mara, was a place of blessing for two and a half to three million Jews who got everything they wanted to drink, all the fresh water their hearts could desire. Calvary was a place of blessing. A place of blessing? Sure doesn't look like a place of blessing. Because as you look at the scene of Calvary that day, all you see is the Son of God being crucified. You see someone who is perfect bearing the sins of many. You see someone <clears throat> who deserves nothing but royal treatment being treated like a common criminal. You see someone who deserves not, not, not blame, but praise, but yet he's taking our sins upon himself that day. Blessing? You see, friend, you and I are the recipients of an amazing blessing because of what happened on Calvary. If you're here this morning, <clears throat> whether you're saved or not, hey, can I help you with something? Calvary was for you. It was for you. 
And the blessing of Calvary goes beyond just what you see with the eye. The blessing of Calvary goes beyond the shame. It goes beyond the mockery. It goes beyond the, uh, the, the disgrace and all of the, the horrific uh, uh, things about that, that have to do with the execution of a crucifixion. I'm simply saying, if you look past it, you see the love of God. You see the grace of God. You see a heavenly father who we've sinned against and yet loves us so much. He says, here's my son to die for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. You know, we read that verse glibly sometimes, but we don't understand sometimes. He gave him to be a sacrifice for us. He gave him to be the propitiation, the substitute for our sin debt. He gave him to be uh, the, our substitute so that we wouldn't have to die and go to hell, so that we wouldn't have to burn in the lake of fire, so that we wouldn't have to suffer the torments of separation from God for eternity. No, God gave him for us, for us. And just like the tree made the difference at the waters of Mara, the tree of Calvary makes all the difference in my life and your life. Hey, Throw the tree into your problems this morning. Hey, I, the message is very, very simple. I invite all of you this morning to consider the tree. Consider the tree. That tree that God showed Moses in the wilderness is merely a symbol of something far greater to you and me. Throw the tree into your bitterness in your life and see how sweet life can be. Those people, they got on their knees and they, they, they brought the, 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 that water to their lips and it was bitter, it was disgusting, it was nasty, it, it, was not, it wasn't drinkable. Perhaps it even made them sick on their stomach. I don't know, but when Moses took that tree and threw that tree into the waters of Mara, all of a sudden, what was once bitter became sweet. What was once non-drinkable was something that was refreshing. Some of you here this morning, you're facing circumstances of bitterness and facing, uh, facing trials and burdens and heartaches and woes and all different kinds of things. Can I help you with something this morning? Why don't we look at our problems in light of Calvary? I want you to consider your bitterness this morning in light of Calvary. Hey, preacher, you don't understand. Somebody did me wrong. Look at Calvary. Somebody did him wrong. Somebody did him wrong. Preach, you don't understand. You don't understand how, how viciously I've been attacked by someone who once called me their friend. How viciously I have been, I have been maligned. And, uh, and, and it's just not right. Preacher, I have every right to be bitter. You can hang on to your bitterness if you want to, but that's no way to live. That's no way to live. Instead of hanging on and clinging to your bitterness, thinking that somehow your bitterness is going to get back at someone. Hey, you know what we fail to realize sometimes? The person to whom you're, the, the person uh, toward your bitter, or, or about whom your bitterness is directed, they're sleeping good tonight and you're not. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Man, they're sleeping like a baby. You're tossing and turning trying to figure out how to get back at them. <laughs> you know, hey, that's no way to live. I'm simply saying, <clears throat> take that bitterness, that, that bitter pill that you've had to swallow and look at it in light of what happened to Christ. He was mistreated. Let me give you a verse. We, we quote it often. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But that's not where it stops. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Can I tell you something? The ultimate wrong was the way I've wronged God all of my life. And the way that you've wronged God in your life. And yet God says that God, that he has forgiven us, those of us who are saved, God has forgiven us, not for our sakes, for Christ's sake. 
Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Hey, well, if God for Christ's sake has forgiven me, then why can't we for Christ's sake forgive somebody else? I'm simply saying throw the cross in your bitterness. Throw the cross into it. Throw the tree into it. Consider the tree. Consider the tree when it comes to your trials. Consider the tree when it comes to your heartaches. Consider the tree when it comes to your problems. I hasten. Because of the tree, we have hope. Because of the tree, we have hope. Hey, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know, I know Christ holds my future. Life is worth a living just because he lives. He lives. The tree gives us hope for a future. The tree gives us healing. The tree gives us peace with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The tree gives me peace with God. The tree gives me freedom from guilt. So many things that that tree, and specifically the one who hung on that tree 2,000 years ago, provides for me. You know, <clears throat> why don't we consider the cross this morning? The bitterness of life is made sweet when you look at it in light of the cross because of a tree. Not just any tree, the tree. Paul said, therefore I'll, <clears throat> I'll glory in nothing else but the cross. I'll glory in the cross. You know what? <clears throat> that event that happened on Calvary 2,000 years ago, as we talked about this morning, all of the rivers of history flow to the cross. All the waters of prophecy flow away from the cross. The watershed event in human history happened on a hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Don't ever get too far from the cross. Don't ever get too far from the cross. Hey, Christian, don't stray too far from the cross. Included in everything. Bad circumstances, consider the cross. Bitterness, consider the cross. Heartaches, consider the cross. Uh, uh, you need healing, consider the cross. The Bible says by his stripes we're healed. Hey, I'm, <clears throat> again, consider the cross. You say, preacher, what if I'm not saved? I ask you, consider the cross. Consider the cross. That's your only hope of heaven. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. If you don't know, if you don't have 100% assurance that heaven is your home, <clears throat> the only way, the only way. I didn't say Jesus is a way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you have any hope of eternal life, it's in the cross of Christ. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's it. Because of the cross, I have salvation. I have salvation. Hey, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's it. That's it. How about you today? Do you know for sure that heaven is your own? Hey, Christian. Hey, Christian. <clears throat> Consider your bitterness in light of the cross. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.